as we continue in our sermon series for this first few weeks and months of the new year, uh, we are going to continue in our study of the Gospel of John. We are looking during this time at the seven signs, the seven miracles related to uh, the way in which John's gospel is orchestrated. He weaves these miracles together to help take us from John chapter 2 all the way to the 12th chapter leading into the time in which Jesus walks to the cross. So often these passages within the gospel of John are called the book of signs. And today we're going to be looking at this third sign. It is from John chapter 5 verses 1 through 15. I invite you to hear these words from the gospel of John. After this, there was a festival of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, Someone else step down, steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. They asked him, who is this man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have made me well. Do not sin. See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who made him well. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, in our passage today, we have the healing of this man who had been ill for 38 years. Before this, Jesus has been teaching and preaching and healing in areas of Galilee, near the, uh, the Sea of Galilee where he came from, and then also in Samaria, where he talked to the woman at the well about living water. Now, John's gospel records Jesus going up to Jerusalem for a festival, to be in Jerusalem for a high holy day. Now, you might be wondering, what does it mean to go up to Jerusalem? Because if you were to look at a map in your Bible or online, and you would see where the Sea of Galilee is. You would see where Samaria is. The woman at the well was at Sychar. If you look at that place, Jerusalem is south. Jerusalem is south of there. And in our thinking, south is what? Down, right? North is up. But for the Jewish people, up meant to go upwards in altitude. And Jerusalem 
It is a higher altitude of most of the rest of the country. There are other places that are higher, such as Mount Hermon. But Jerusalem is high enough up that even in the dry, arid heat of the summer, it might be 90 to 100 degrees near the Dead Sea, but it might be in the 80s in Jerusalem because of the change in altitude. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And if you read Psalms, by the way, and you hear about people saying it is good to go up to Jerusalem, that's what they mean, that you're ascending up to the city, the temple, the high place where God's presence is and remains with the people. So in Jerusalem, there was this pool uh, with five porticos, five porches, uh, that had two sections to the pool. And it was here where many people who were ill or physically uh, disabled in some way would lay and wait. There's a passage in here uh, that is omitted from some Bibles, but it, it occurs in other Bibles. So for instance, if you were to look at a King James Version, there is a passage that may not be in some other versions. And that passage says the reason that people went to this pool who had these uh, illnesses or issues, the reason that they were there and waiting is because the water would be stirred up. We heard that in the scripture, right? But it says that the water would be stirred up by an angel, an angel. And once the water was stirred up by the angel of God, the first person into the water would be healed. Now, people who sort of study scripture don't know if this was actually part of the Bible or if this was someone who was copying it down, who added this explanation, but it is consistent with a lot of things that we know about this area, this time, and the practices there. The people would come hoping to be healed in some way in the waters of this pool. And it's not the only pool in Jerusalem where Jesus healed. There's also a pool of Siloam. And what's interesting is, is that archaeologists have found both of these pools. Both of these pools, by digging down into the ruins, by digging beneath other structures that were built on top of it, they've actually found the pool of Bethsaida, or in Hebrew, Beth Zatha, which means house of mercy. They've been able to find where this was located near the Sheep Gate, near one of the walls of Jerusalem, one of the old walls, the old city. And in it, they found something very interesting. There was a way for the people there to build aqueducts in a way, uh, water channels that would collect water and naturally feed them into this pool. And there's a reason why that is important to share with you. Natural water from rain would fall down in Jerusalem. It would go into these cisterns and those cisterns would fill the pool of Bethsaida with water. And the reason that's important is because of a Jewish practice related to baptism. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness, you may remember, baptizing people and asking them to repent of their sins. And dipping yourself into water was a practice of ritual purification. Ritual purification, you know, getting clean spiritually so that you are in the right state of mind for the work that you're supposed to do. When I was in Jerusalem in 2013, we saw someone writing out 
the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures by hand, by hand. Now they were protected by a glass. They were writing on scroll. They were copying it down, which is a sacred work. And this, this scribe, if you will, this person copying it, if they ever took a break, guess what they had to do? They had to go over and ritually clean themselves before they sat back down and started doing God's work because the copying of scripture is so sacred. You have to be ritually clean. So even today, they sometimes practice this. It's so sacred, they have to be in the right spiritual, emotional, physical shape to do this work. So for us to understand this pool was not only a place for the invalids or people who are ill to sort of lie in the porticos uh, to wait to be healed. It was also a place that people would go when they came up to Jerusalem. Why? Because it was filled with this natural flowing, uh, they called it living water. Living water. It didn't come from a bucket that somebody picked up and dumped in there. It had to flow naturally from heaven into the pool. And so they would go, people like Jesus, the disciples who came up to worship in Jerusalem at these festivals would go to these pools and they would go in and they would dip themselves down and then they would go up to worship. So not only were people lying there hoping to get healed, all of these pilgrims in a sense were coming into town and going into this pool to get clean. And so all of this pool business is about sort of being in the right state being in the right relationship with God. It's not a pool like Shadescliff pool, right? It's not a pool like we would see Olympians swim in in the Olympics in the summer. It's a pool of water that is used for sacred purposes for the people. But again, the idea or the mythology of this is that the angel would stir the waters and the first person in the pool would be healed. Now, there's no indication we have that anyone was actually healed when they went into the water. We don't have any kind of history uh, of anyone successfully being healed. What we do have in this scripture is a man who was lying there for a long time. Now, you may notice he was ill for 38 years. It doesn't say he was lying there for 38 years, but it's possible that you could read it that way because Jesus knows he's been there a long time. Was he there for 38 years? We don't know, but we know that he dealt with his illness for 38 years. And every time he wanted to be healed by this magical, mystical water that stirred up, most likely because they were letting in the floodgate of that natural water coming into the pool, other people would beat him into the water. No one helped him to become the first one in. He would kind of stir himself and try to get into the water. But by the time he moved inches, maybe, someone else was already there. He kept waiting and waiting and waiting, not only that he might be the only person in crawling distance of the pool, But maybe he was also hoping that he would be there at the right time, at the right place, where someone who would help him would actually show up and help pick him up and take him into the water. But no one ever did. He has a lot of hope that this pool is going to be the thing that saves him. And that makes you wonder, if he laid there for that long, years, months, whatever it may be, he's dealt with this for 38 years, he must have run out of 
hope, do you think? He must have run out of hope that he could actually be healed. Every time he tried to move, someone else would get there, which says a lot about human beings, doesn't it? It says a lot about us that we sometimes put ourselves over others who've struggled a lot longer than we have. It says a lot about us as human beings when we start thinking about ourselves versus the least of these. And yet at the same time, here is Jesus who shows up out of all the people lying there. Notice he doesn't heal a bunch of people in this passage. Out of all the people lying in the porticos, the porches around the pool, he chooses this man who's been ill this long, who maybe is on the brink of running out of hope that someone will help him get into the waters. And this man is Jesus, who's come up for the festival. He's come up here to worship God. And what is the first thing he, he does when he gets to Jerusalem? He goes to get ritually pure, maybe, by getting into the pool. But he sees someone who's been lying there who needs compassion. He needs help. He needs mercy. What is the pool called? The pool of Bethsaida? It means house of mercy. Jesus' act of worship begins by healing this man, showing him mercy. Now think about what Jesus says to him. Because it's a really strange question when you think about it. If Jesus knows this man has been ill for 38 years, and he's been lying there for a long time waiting to get healed. Jesus knows this apparently from the Gospel of John. And the thing that Jesus asked the man is, do you want to get healed? Isn't it obvious? Don't you think? Isn't it obvious? It's a strange question, right? Some people might be wondering, why does he even ask this question? He already knows the answer. He should just go ahead and do it. But I think that the question is very, very important. Do you want to get healed? What is the man's answer? It's not yes. His answer is, I've been trying. I've been trying. I've been trying to get in the water, but somebody else always gets there before me. I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. He doesn't technically say yes, does he? He just says, I've been trying. There are uh, many of us who have things that we struggle with, whether it be a physical illness or emotional illness, whether it be things in our lives that, that we know are not great, they're not right, they're, they're not the way it should be, especially not the way God wants it to be. And I wonder if Jesus asks us the question uh, about the things that we all struggle with. Do you want to get healed? Do you want to get healed? What would be our response? Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying, Jesus, but I, I've been working on it. I've been praying about it. I, I, I read a book about it. I haven't changed. There we go. I thought my microphone went out. You know, sometimes we know we need to change, but we don't know where to start. Or we're scared about, we're scared about the cost related to it. There are some people who know they struggle with something, but they're afraid to get healed. Or maybe they don't want to get healed. Do you want to get healed? That's a great question for us today. You know, 
back early on in, in, in my life, when I was a father and I was uh, working with, with, with churches and ministry, I was having to do this and that. I was a youth director at the time, and I had a lot of retreats to go on. And there was a lot of stress because I was always worried about things going on in ministry and life and getting to places that I was supposed to be. And I didn't realize it, but that stress started building up into my life to the point at which I was starting to not be angry at people, but I would kind of be snippy at people. Hey, I don't know if you've known anybody who gets a little snippy when they're stressed out. I, that was me, and I didn't realize it. And you know who I was snippy to the most? My family. Not other people. I would bend over backwards for other people. I would show so much grace. You know, if a, if a teenager needed to meet, I'd go meet with them for an hour at a coffee shop and, and talk to them. But, you know, if my, wife, my, if my wife asked me to take out the trash, I would go... You know, it would not be pretty. And I didn't realize it. I didn't know that the stress was building up until I was told. And once I was told, I started realizing that there was a problem. But guess what? I didn't want to deal with it because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to give up. I I didn't want to let go of the stress. And I don't know why I didn't want to give it up. You know, I don't know why, but I felt like it was too important. And all I had to do was realize that I was not the only person that had to do some of the things I was doing. I could share the load. That there were other people called in the ministry. We had volunteers. We had other people on staff that we could all work together and share the load. And I could have a little bit of a break. And once I started having that break and I allowed myself to go through some healing, my stress level started to reduce and the way I treated my family changed. And yet I didn't want to go through that process at first. I didn't want to get healed because I was an idiot. (laughs) Sometimes we're like that. We don't want to get healed because we're afraid of the consequences or we don't want to let go of things. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not happy with the way things are. We just can't let go. The first question that Jesus may ask us today is, Do you want to get healed? Do you want to have your anger healed? Do you want to have your sadness healed? Do you want to have your stress level reduced? God's in the business of healing and restoration, but we've got to work with him. Next, we see that Jesus, in fact, does heal the man. He does heal the man, but he doesn't take him to the pool. Did you notice that? He doesn't take the man to the pool. He tells him to get up, take his mat, and walk. Now, if you've been uh, sick, ill for 38 years, and you're not able to walk or to stand up, and someone doesn't say you're healed, they just say, get up. What are you going to say? I can't, right? I don't know which, uh, ver- which movie it is, but there was a version of this, maybe in the movie called The Gospel of John, where the man is lying there. Uh, he is, you know, by the pool, and, and Jesus says to him, the character, the actor there says to him, rise, get up, take your mat, and walk. And, and the man sort of looks at him quizzically, and then he looks down and starts to wiggle his toes, almost like in disbelief that it's possible that maybe he can stand. 
Jesus tells him to do the impossible, but the reason he tells him to do the impossible is because he's already been healed. And then Jesus tells him to take up your mat. And there is a uh, a pastor, preacher, who passed away several years ago. His name is Ray Stedman, I believe, who says that a lot of the things that he researched says that Jesus wants to take away the temptation to relapse, right? Take away the temptation to relapse. Because if you keep your mat on the floor, maybe one day you'll think, well, I need to go back to my mat. And what Jesus is saying to him is you're healed. You never have to lie in this in this portico again. Take it up. Walk. There's no reason to turn back and go back into the way you were living before because now your life has changed. But there's something else that Jesus does related to getting your mat and taking it up that's a problem and we don't see it until after the man is healed. Jesus tells him to work, to do something Jesus tells him on a Sabbath day when you're not supposed to expend any energy to pick up your mat and walk. And so there's a man carrying a mat and the religious authorities see him and they say, whoa, 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 you're working. Why are you carrying that mat? And he says, well, well, this guy told me to, right? Wasn't me. (laughs) Jesus tells him to work, but it's not really the kind of uh, violation of the Sabbath that we might think because... In a way, this mat that he picks up and carries is sort of this public affirmation of the healing. This is like proof, right, that he can walk. That he used to have to lie there, but now he's set free. This Sabbath business is is serious, and I think it's important that it follows... That it follows the healing because of what we experience signs, miracles in the gospel of John as being. The gospel of John tells us that these miracles are related to, related to something more beyond the miracle themselves. When I was in Israel again in 2013, every now and then we would ride the elevator on the Sabbath. And do you know that some of these elevators were set up for people who celebrated the Sabbath truly, who could not do any work? Pushing the button for your floor was work. And so, guess what they did on Sabbath days? The elevator stopped on every floor. You didn't have to do anything to get to where you were going. But that was part of how they, they practice acknowledging God on a day like that. Why is the Sabbath so vital? Why is it so important? Why is it important that they not do any work on that day? Remember from Genesis that God created the world in how many days? Some people are saying seven. Some people are saying six. Six days is correct, Right? If you whispered seven, just just pretend like you said six. I said six. Six days. And on the seventh day, he rested, right? God didn't do any work. And when when God uh, liberated the the people of God, the, the Jews, the Israelites from Egypt, he told them to treat the Sabbath day as holy and not do any work to worship him that day, to be focused on him. Who's in charge of 
the Sabbath? God, right? Things should be focused on who? God, on the Sabbath. One day a week, we're commanded to focus on God and to worship him and do things in his name. This sign, this miracle, is more than just the healing at the pool. More than just finding a man and being compassionate to him within the house of mercy, the pool of Bethsaida, showing him mercy and healing him. He does it on the Sabbath, and that is important for us to understand. This sign points to who Jesus is because he heals on the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath, which means... He's in charge of the Sabbath. In other Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call these uh, the, the Gospels that are very similar, right? They're very similar in nature. They're still following the same pattern. Synoptic is what we call them. Synoptic Gospels. John's Gospel is different. He tells the story in a little bit different way, and it shows us more about who Jesus is. For John to show Jesus healing on the Sabbath, it points to what Jesus says about himself in other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And that is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is in charge of it. Because if he is the Son of God, then the Sabbath is also about worshiping him. So when he tells the man to pick up his mat and walk, he's not telling him to violate the Sabbath. He's giving him a command to go and celebrate what God has done for him. Jesus can heal on the Sabbath because of who he is. There's a lot of of questions related to what is okay on the Sabbath and what's not okay. You may remember that there was a time in the 1950s and earlier where everything was shut down on Sunday. You couldn't go to a movie because it was the Lord's day. And now pretty much anything is possible. On a Sunday. But that doesn't stop us from celebrating God at least one day a week. You've made at least one of the steps towards that in being in worship in person or online. But then to go from this place or from this hour and to serve God, to speak about God, to pray, to have some time to understand what God is calling you to do. All of these things are very important. Jesus wants us to use the Sabbath to grow closer to God and to take those necessary steps to get there. Because life is so busy, isn't it? Life is so busy. And it's hard to find 15 minutes or an hour on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever it is. For God, even though it's possible, it's difficult to do that. Sometimes we don't want to give it up because there's all these other things we want to do. But if we don't find the time, we're going to find ourselves suffering in a relationship with God. Having time set apart for God is just as important as a family having time set up to eat around a table, to go on a vacation together, to grow in love and faith together, that time is just as important, if not greater, isn't it? When we don't set aside that time, we lose the gift, the blessing of what it can do for us in our hearts. Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, and the authorities find out, and they question him about it. 
We only read to verse 15, but if you were to go beyond that, you would see the interaction between Jesus and these religious authorities who start plotting to undermine him or eventually kill him because of what he does here. John, I think, uses this story beautifully to point out the nature of who God is in Jesus Christ. That he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is who we're supposed to be working for during that time. It's not just about rest. It's about finding rest from the busyness of our lives and to live into our true nature. You know, I think about all those poor souls who get stuck on 280 all the time. On their way to work. Maybe some of you are like that. 280. And it's not just that. You can go to all these other big towns and find people stuck on roads on their commute. 30 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half to get to their jobs. And they start wondering, is this really what I was called to do in my life? To sit in a car and to listen to the weather report? To listen to a podcast on my way to this job? Maybe you're thinking about that in your own life. Is this really what I'm called to do? Usually, the answer is that you can live out your calling in whatever job you have, in whatever ministry you are in. You don't have to often change your job in order to do that thing that you are called to do. But it's often that we get to that point because we have pushed Sabbath time out of our lives and we're looking for meaning, we're looking for purpose. And if we could just open the floodgates like those waters into the pool of Siloam, maybe that time spent with God, that time serving in God's name might refresh us and help us to see more clearly how we can live out our true vocation in the midst of our lives today. Sometimes the most radical changes don't come in the moments where we step out and jump blindly into the future. Sometimes the most radical changes come because we start using our time appropriately and we get a better vantage point. Once we start seeing the true nature of what healing needs to take place in our lives, it becomes a lot less scary to let go. It becomes a lot less nerve-wracking to take those first steps. Healing can come simply by opening up the floodgates in the house of mercy into our lives if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Friends, as we close the door on this third sign, I hope that it opens the questions in your own mind about your own healing, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. Do you want to get healed? And the second question is, am I practicing Sabbath well? Is there enough space in my life that I can devote to God that makes sense of this world? And it makes sense of how God is calling me to live in this world. The more Sabbath, the more focus, the more vantage points that we can find through God's eyes, the more healing is possible. Amen and amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and I hope that you found this message to be meaningful, 
and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.